0: Ladies, gentlemen, everyone listening, welcome to not just another episode of the Diamond Duo Podcast, but episode 75 of the Diamond Duo Podcast, another milestone episode in this podcast that we've got going on. My name is Tom Bauer, joined as always by my co-host and co-producer, Tony Puglisi, as we are here to break down the end of the regular season in Major League Baseball and give our predictions for the postseason and this special 75th episode of the diamond duo podcast is brought to you by the supreme overlord of fantasy baseball aka thomas bauer bow down before me i am the supreme overlord of fantasy baseball no one can take that away from yours truly Tony's going to do his best to do that right now, though. Hi, Tony. Welcome to episode 75.
1: Uh, Hi. Hi, Tom. Hi, everyone listening. Thank you for sticking with us all the way to episode 75, man. It feels like yesterday we started our first episode and it ran like three and a half hours on the base recording and we're already here. (laughs) So that is absolutely ludicrous to think about. Thank you all so much for sticking with us. And Tom, you actually had a little flub in the intro towards the end there. Would you like to take it again? Well, what was the flub? How about you tell me and then maybe I'll re-record it. Uh, I was going to say that fantasy baseball part because I think the supreme overlord of fantasy baseball Mm -hmm. is obviously the goaded legend himself, Tony Puglisi, who managed to secure a not, not sixth place finish after not checking his team. That is complete trust in an offense, and a pitching staff to just not watch the team and expect it to perform. (laughs) And guess what? It performed. Congratulations to you, Tony, for not finishing on the podium this year.
0: You couldn't even muster out at least fourth place. That's really, really sad.
1: I'll give you this for as much clowning. GG, good season. Thank you. I appreciate that. I thought your team was trash, but you know what? Mm -hmm. Sometimes Linsanity runs do go all the way to- thank you i very much appreciate that to be fair i
0: did think my team was trash and i think i've said it on the podcast multiple times throughout this year <laughs> that my team is like destined <laughs> for failure but somehow i did come out on top and that deserves a round of applause so tony may or may not be able to hear but i'm playing it to boost my own ego even more I'm here i'll boost it just in. because i have to do it yeah, Tony. you can't hear it because oh, Tony doesn't have uh, loopback back <laughs> in Fargo, the uh, programs I've got running, but uh, he played a cricket sound effect on Discord.
1: See, now I kind of want to edit one in, even though this won't be my half of the episode. Yeah, good luck with that, buddy. Uh, again, another hearty congratulations to me. Everybody who, uh, played
0: this year in the Fantasy Baseball League, thank you for your contributions. I hope you had a
1: fantastic time. Yep, hope everyone had fun. Congrats, not just to Tom, but to our other two podium members, our good buddy Jesse, who got second place, uh, and who will not be getting, uh, 10 to 20 extra dollars for beating your ass. He will just get the normal amount, uh, allocated to him. Uh, and Steve, last year's champion, who... Only fell two spots a third place. Hey, you broke even, Paisan. That is nothing to be ashamed of. So yeah, another good season in the books. Uh, for everyone except Kyle Finnegan. Yes, I'm still salty. <laughs> 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 Nevertheless, let's get right into this uh. episode 75 of the Diamond Duo podcast now that we've got that out of the way. But before we do... As always, a couple quick disclaimers, we are recording on the night of Monday, October the 2nd, happy October everybody, at around 11 o'clock p.m., so anything that comes up in the initial couple games of the playoffs will likely, uh, well not likely, but will definitely not be able to be covered, which does kinda suck, but tis the nature of running a podcast that isn't daily, we'll get this pumped out to you uh, you guys as quickly as we can, Uh, Mm -hmm. but yeah, Monday the 2nd, anything after this and before it is uploaded will not be covered. Uh secondly, go follow us on social media at diamond duo pod on Twitter or X and the diamond duo podcast on Instagram and be sure to go give us a follow or a sub on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you get your podcast. We would really really appreciate it. Here's to 75 and to 75 more. Thank you guys again so, so much. We appreciate you more than words could possibly express. With that being said, Tom, let's dive headfirst into this episode. We've got a bit of a what I labeled on the rundown as a diet major headline section before, or segment rather, before we get into playoff predictions and laughing at those who missed out. Uh, And not just those who missed out, those who very wrongly predicted early in the season, but we'll get there when we get there. Let's start off, Tom, in our major headlines segment with kind of a sour note, kind of a kind of a somber topic that we just kind of have to address, get it out of the way, pay our respects, because the baseball world has lost a great, great man recently as retired Red Sox pitcher Tim Wakefield, sadly lost his life not too long ago after a battle with cancer. Wakefield was 57, sadly died very young. Wakefield, the two-time World Series champion with the Red Sox, veteran of the game, loved by everyone who he's come into contact with. I mean, hell, even just in the Days following his unfortunate passing, you saw an outpouring of well wishes and condolences, not just from teams and officials around the league, but former players too. And Tom, I think the one that hit me home the most was Johnny Damon, a former teammate of Tim Wakefield on that 04 championship winning Red Sox squad, just posted a video on Twitter with the caption, I believe it read something like, still can't believe it. It's just a video of Damon and Wakefield on the golf course. There was another one of them must have been at a restaurant or something, playing playing a guitar, playing some music, something nice like that. And it really grounds you, man, you know? Damon's probably around the same age and seeing a life probably a lifelong friend of his struck down so young by such a horrible, horrible disease. It's 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 rough. It really makes you think and it really just it, it shakes you. Shook the whole whole baseball community. And last thing I'll say to uh, close out my little spiel here is just a bit ago in, I believe, the final Mariners game of the season, George Kirby was starting this game, and he teased something apparently in the preseason. He teased a little knuckleball he was working on, and he never broke it out in the regular season up until that final game. He threw it, he got a swinging strike over it, and he said in the post game that it was a tribute to Tim Wakefield, the noted knuckleball pitcher. Rest in peace, Tim Wakefield. We absolutely lost a legend of the game. Rest in peace. I'm so happy you brought up that George Kirby moment because
0: that was a beautiful, beautiful knuckleball. Quite possibly one of the best I've seen in quite a long time, so George Kirby, that was a very, very nice move, and a great pitch that, honestly, you should break out a lot more, I would say you could do it in the postseason this year, but your team didn't make it, so you can't do that, uh, any rate, back to Tim Wakefield, in all seriousness, though, um, like you, Tony, like you mentioned the Johnny Damon story with him on the golf course, I, am just seeing this pouring in of stories that other players, and teammates, and even guys that just knew Tim Wakefield in passing, have been telling about Tim Wakefield just what a legendary guy he was I'm not even gonna talk about his uh like unfield productions for a hot second here just as a teammate whether he was a competitor or really just a man that he was like uh, th- there's so there's very little people out there that truly have universal support across anywhere and can label you as a caring and dedicated person. And Tim Wakefield is one of those rare individuals that deserves that prestigious honor of being that universally adored figure. Um, MLB statement on X, uh, we are deeply saddened by the passing of Tim Wakefield, 19-year major leaguer, two-time World Series champion, 2009 AL All-Star, and the 2010 Roberto Clemente Award winner. Just goes to show you what kind of man he was. Tim embodied the finest qualities as a teammate, a competitor, and a caring man. Our thoughts and prayers are with the Wakefield family and all who knew and loved Tim. RIP Tim Wakefield, uh, 1966 through 2023 unbelievable pitcher i'm not going to call him the godfather of the knuckleball because obviously pitchers have thrown it before him but i think he's the most infamous possibly knuckleballer of all time so at least he's got that going for him almost damn near won a cy young his first year in boston in 1995 believe it or not uh 295 era 16 8 record under 19 strikeouts 165 ERA plus. Dear God, that's really good. Um, And then he was kind of like that lifelong Boston Red Sox for 17 years. He played the first two years of his career out in Pittsburgh, if you remember that. um, That's where he debuted that knuckleball, and that's where he started to develop that signature pitch, and luckily he found a home that loved and cared and blessed him for 17 years and beyond that. So it's just really, really sad to see somebody who's, again, universally adored— unfortunately lose their life so soon so rest in peace to tim wakefield
1: and it is with great sadness it is a great disservice to report that that's not the only bit of somber news we have on this front The baseball world suffered another great loss orioles legend one of the greatest baseball players of all time and arguably the greatest Third baseman of all time, indisputably the best defensive third baseman of all time, Brooks Robinson, has unfortunately passed away. Passed away on the 26th of September at the age of 86. God bless him, man. He lived a long life. And, Tom, I'm going to be honest, I pulled up his baseball reference page just to get some talking points for the segment, and I, I, it's it's kind of flooring how good Brooks Robinson was at baseball. I don't think we're shortchanging him to call him the best Oriole that ever lived. They've had great players go through their history. You could point to Jim Palmer. You could point to Frank Robinson. You could point to, I don't even someone recent like an Adam Jones. But you ask me, nobody holds a candle to the human vacuum cleaner, as he was known as. In his career, Robert uh, Robinson tallied 78.4 war over, uh, excuse me, over 23 seasons, all of which with the Orioles, and he amassed a whopping 18 gold gloves. You heard me right, 18. Every single one of them earned. This is the man that really made third base into the hot corner that we know it as today. Guys like Nolan Arenado, Matt Chapman, Manny Machado, all those great third basemen, Mike Schmidt, George Brett, Alex Rodriguez, they owe everything to Brooks Robinson. Had he not done what he did at the major league level, third base would not be the revered position it is today. Those sparkling, you know, highlight plays, you know, like, you know that clip of Nolan Arenado, like tracking a ball into foul territory, gets it on the backhand, throws across his body to first base. He did not revolutionize that. That was Brooks Robinson, I believe in the World Series, uh, back when... Back when the Orioles were winning World Series, I believe it was when they defeated, it's escaping me now, but I know it was game one of the World Series. But that aside, Brooks Robinson had a career for the ages. Like I said, 18, wow, I read his baseball reference page wrong, 16 gold gloves, and 18 all-star appearances. He won an MVP, two World Series, a World Series MVP, and is a no-doubt Hall of Famer. Beyond a doubt, one of the greatest third basemen to ever play the game, and truly, dearly a revered player and great man, respected by everyone around the league. Rest in peace to an all-time legend at Brooks Robinson.
0: Yeah, you talk about guys who are just completely revered in Baltimore Orioles lore. I mean, he's one of only a few players to have a statue of him outside of Camden Yards for the accomplishments that he's had on the field you've got the Robinsons Brooks and Frank uh you have Earl Weaver as well Jim Palmer Eddie Murray and Cal Ripken Jr those are your statues uh by the way and yeah Brooks definitely stands highly amongst those guys If we're gonna say yeah he's one of the statues if you say who's the best Oriole of all time yeah you wouldn't find an argument against Brooks or Robinson let me say that if we're gonna make the case for him There's not much more that I can really add because you kind of stole where I was going to kind of go with that. Just kind of that defensive titan of the game. I mean, we focus so heavily on analytics and the importance of winning gold gloves and all that stuff nowadays, especially more than ever. And Brooks Robinson defined what it meant to be that Platinum Glover. I mean, there wasn't a Platinum Glove back in the day. That's a modern award. But if there was a Platinum Glove, I guarantee he could have won it 16 times in a row, as he did in his MLB career. He literally won the Gold Glove at third base from 1960 through 1975. He was 23 when he won his first award. He was 38 when he won his last Gold Glove award. That just shows you the sheer dominance he had at the defensive position. As a matter of fact, He actually only led baseball twice in defensive war, if you look back at it. Obviously, they didn't count the stats back then, but looking back at it now, 4.2 defensive war in 1967, that was more than his offensive war, actually, of 4.0, and he had a 4.5 defensive war in 1968 alone, the very next year. He drew even with his offensive war for that year. That just goes to show you, and looking at the numbers even more, 39.1 career war defensively alone. For Brooks Robinson, if you're looking at it from that perspective. Offensively, he wasn't that much of a threat, in my humble opinion. He was just kind of a, a good hitter, above average, of course, but I'm not going to go out on a limb and say he was the great hitter because that's not what he's known for. He's known for being that leader in Baltimore. He's known for those defensive highlight reels that you can look up on YouTube and all that stuff. And of course, just being this legendary guy that unsung leader type of guy and just the staple in Baltimore lore and Baltimore history. So RIP to Brooks Robinson.
1: Absolutely. Our hearts, just the same as Tim Wakefield, go out to his entire friends, family, the entire Orioles community in this trying time. Rest in peace to a fantastic, fantastic all-around player. One last note just to prove that I'm not crazy. That play I was describing earlier, number one, I got the World Series wrong in 1970. The opponent was the Reds, and that play played out exactly how I described it. From foul territory to first, he threw out Reds player Lee May. It's actually a pretty famous play if you look it up on YouTube, and he won World Series MVP that year. So I'll shut up. Nothing but respect to Brooks Robinson. Rest in peace, good sir. So with that out of the way, let's move on, Tom, to the rest of these headlines on a bit of a lighter note uh, on the grand scale of things, but some in a more bittersweet variety, but not this first one. first story I've got written down here has to do with baseball more on the field, and uh, <laughs> I suppose for these three men, it's not going to be on the field really anymore, because with the regular season coming to an end, uh, three baseball front offices decided that Enough was enough with their incumbent managers. Three of them have been fired, all on all with varying different levels of success throughout the season. Uh first and foremost, Buck Show Walter was It was actually reported, Tom, at first, that he was just no longer returning to the Mets, made it sound like it was his own decision. But then it came out later that he was fired by new Mets president David Stearns. I it was a whole weird thing that I won't even pretend to know the full truth about. I haven't even looked into it to the degree I would have liked, but nevertheless, Buckshell Walter is gone. Also gone is Phil Nevin, Yankees third base coach legend, uh, former manager of the Los Angeles Angels. Now, wow, who could have seen that coming? His contract was uh, was expiring anyway. And I guess on a more surprising note, Tom, at least given recency bias, I suppose you could say, Gabe Kepler was relieved of his duties as manager of the San Francisco Giants. So, yeah, bit of a shakeup in the managerial sense. Three guys on the quote-unquote trade block right now that I think are all in different situations. I frankly think two of them are not going to manage again. (laughs) But what's your take on this? What do you think? You think any of them made the wrong move? You think... All of them were the right move because I've got I've got some thoughts on these three. I want to I want to hear what you got to say first.
0: So I'll go from youngest to oldest just to spice things up a little bit. So Gabe Kapler, let's start at the youngest. I'm assuming he's the youngest. If he's not, then I don't he know probably what we're doing he is. here. <laughs> I, I you know I would really hope so, man. He's 47. I, you know what, just for s sh- giggles, I need to know how old Phil Nevitt is. Phil Nevitt's not
1: forty-seven. He's I, crisp
0: like like fifty. He's fifty two. Wow. Wow. He's a I was... very old looking fifty-two. I'm
1: yeah. <laughs> he looks like he's fifty-six. No offense, Phil. Uh hope you're what if not I just gaslit you the entire time, like, no nah, man, he's fifty-six. What are you reading? You know what, then I would have to ask
0: ChatGPT, who by the way, I would like I need to point this out. <laughs> uh, <laughs> So, for the intro, I was thinking of maybe possibly giving a special intro because it was episode 75. I was trying to drum up a list of, like, accomplishments or something big associated with the number 75. So, I asked to give me a list of baseball milestones in the number 75, and this was pointless. But I did get this gem, and I'm reading directly from ChatGPT. This is not a fluff (laughs) at all. This is not me making this up. I am not nearly talented enough to make up this comedy of errors. So it says, it just gave me uh, 75 stolen bases in a single season. Colon. No player has stolen 75 bases in a single MLB season. The modern era record for stolen bases in a season is 130, achieved, achieved by Ricky Henderson in 1982. Verbatim, that's what it says. So now, I know what you might be thinking. This is already ridiculous enough considering Ricky Henderson shattered the record of 75 or the, just the number 75. You could be thinking, well, maybe no one's actually stolen 75 stolen bases on the dot in Major League Baseball history. Yeah, that could be the case. No it's not the case. Seven players have done it before. Most recently, in 1996, Kenny Lofton accomplished that goal. So not only is ChatGPT wrong, it's completely full of here, which I guess are synonyms. But that just I'm tr- just trying to emphasize how much <laughs> of a screw-up this is on ChatGPT. God bless the internet. I've loved ChatGPT for the intros <laughs> it's given us and outros,
1: but what in the actual hell is this? That I'd like to point out for you lovely listeners out there that Tom and I have f***ed around with ChatGBT maybe like four of the last six episodes, and four of four times it has given us gold, comedy (laughs) gold, comedy (laughs) platinum, if you will. If you count that, what was it, that one intro, like, oh, give give me like a saucy, like a sexy intro for a baseball podcast, (laughs) And and now it's just straight up contradicting itself, that Uh, Tom, I swear to God, when you read that, I thought I heard you wrong. I thought maybe like Discord cut out or something, but please go on. Tell us about noted 56-year-old Phil Nevin.
0: Ah, yes, Phil Nevin, but first I gotta go with Gabe Kapler because I was going from youngest to oldest. Sorry about that uh, whole droning on. Of anything, but at any rate, Gabe Kapler. I was initially surprised by this move too. And you might be saying, "Why were you surprised?" And it goes back to that recency bias I was looking at. In 2021, this team somehow miraculously won 107 games. They went 107 and 55, won the division somehow by some miracle. They won the division. Now, of course, they did lose in the NLDS three to two to the Los Angeles Dodgers, who were the runners up in that division by one or two games. It was an incredible season for them too, but then i thought about it a little bit more and i'm like okay they went 81 and 81 the next year and then this year they went even worse 78 and 81 they fell off toward the end and they fell off pretty hard but we will get to that later on in the episode when we talk about the wrap up of september so based on that success and the kind of mediocre pandering success he's had they've had a losing season two of the four years and one of the one of those years they went 500 and the other time they completely completely overachieved by some voodoo magic, they were able to win 107 games. So this one honestly doesn't surprise me based on that kind of success alone. I haven't heard necessarily anything bad about Gabe Kapler really at all. It seems like he had kind of a fine grip on things in San Francisco. It just kind of, he had that expiration date. Maybe his deal was coming to an end. Like, okay, we're gonna go in a different direction. I will say this year, they didn't really give him the benefit of the doubt because we thought they would add... A lot in the offseason they really didn't add that much so you got that and then you got phil nevin and he was just kind of an interim manager at one point and well they're the los angeles angels so something is naturally bound to go wrong and of course they had that second half collapse uh, that was responsible for making perry manazian and art moreno look like complete morons for not trading shohei otani but nevin i just never really for whatever reason liked as a manager, uh, he was fought mainly because I probably have that Yankee bias where he wasn't that great of a third base coach. He was well-liked, and that's obviously how and partially why he got the manager job in L.A. But he messed up some things as a third base coach of the Yankees that what I found unacceptable, and Tony found unacceptable as well. So in my opinion, it was even a shocker that he got the job in the first place. And then Buck Showalter, it's just really the changing of guard. When you have David Stearns there as the new president of baseball ops, you kind of expect him to maybe bring in his own guys. Buck Showalter was universally revered in that Mets clubhouse. Even Pete Alonzo I saw Thursday report. He was completely taken aback by the firing or letting go, however you want to call it, of Buck Showalter. Uh, so much so he was so incensed that he was going to march to Steve Cohen himself and voice his displeasure for Steve Cohen, um, and for making this ultimate move. Uh, but he didn't, he had to be restrained and kind of told, don't do that. So it goes to show you just how, again, adored Buck was. And even though he's a great personality, a great baseball mind, he's kind of like a grandpa to all them. It's just the changing of the guard, unfortunately. Also, it was a failure of a year. I'm not saying it's Buck's fault that all everybody underachieved pretty much. Um, but
1: it certainly didn't help his case either. So that's really what's up with the three managers. I'm going to start with Buck for mine, because I'm going to be honest. This may have been sneak, sneakily, is that a word? Yeah. One of the Mets sneakily. Yes. Sneakily, one of the Mets better moves this year. And I'm counting their trades at the deadline, too, because as much as I respect Buck Showalter, great, seems like a great guy, seems like a great manager or at least, in his day. And definitely, Tom, like you said, a great baseball mind. I mean, I saw him talk on MLB Network a handful of times, and the man knows what he's talking about. He spent how many decades of his life around this sport? He knows baseball probably better than he knows himself. So, I have endless amounts of respect for Buckshell Walter. He's not the guy. Tom, you mentioned an expiration date for Gabe Kepler. Buck Walter, I... I would argue was past his expiration date when he was still managing the Orioles. I was skeptical of that hire the second the Mets made it, and it it just came true. Nothing against him, I just think he doesn't really mesh with the modern game. It's sort of how I feel about Dusty Baker right now, and how White Sox fans vitriolically felt about Tony LaRusso. You know, everybody's got everybody's got a stopping point when it comes to holding a job in a major league dugout, and it's sad to say, but I think Bucks finally reached his. Good point, though, about how much they loved him, because you're right, he really is like your cool, funny grandpa. I mean, hell, I don't even know how Francisco Lindor's daughter's gonna react to this news. Sad from that perspective, but from a strictly managerial baseball perspective, that's the right move. You need someone who's more in touch with the modern game, and you definitely need someone who's going to deploy better lineups and give better post-game pressers, because I'm going to be honest, Tom, something that's very much in common with all these old guys managing baseball teams now, it happened to Baker this year and Tony La Russa last year, both years. They give some... Sp- spicy post-game pressers every now and again. I think Buck had a few about... Oh, I forget what it was. Something about, like, oh, yeah, we can't play Brett Beatty because, oh, it's a lefty on the mound. We gotta rest him. We need, we need to rest him because it's a lefty, even though they just rested him a day before and he was been hitting three hundred the past week or two. It, it was dumb, and I saw Mets fans complaining about him, appropriately so, on Twitter as a result. So, I'm just... I'm droning at this point. It's definitely the right move, but... Nothing but respect for Walter. And the other two I'll make brief. Nevin was gone the second he went in. The Angels go through managers and GMs like tissue paper. It's the Artie Moreno show, and he hires the ones who will say yes to him the most. Interesting to note, by the way, the status of GM Perry Manazian is apparently still up in the air. I don't know if that's because his contract is up. I remember seeing the tweet, the first tweet that says, Nevin's out, Manassian is... Basically on the hot seat. There's no update about that, obviously. There's nothing to even believe it's uh, going to happen, so take that with a grain of salt. But it's the Angels. I've given them way too much lip service over the past couple months, so I'll save Yankees legend Phil Nevin from any more vitriol flung the Angels' way and just say he's probably not going to manage again and he was dealt a bad hand. That's it. Uh, But the third guy, Gabe Kapler. I'm very interested in his position, Tom, because I'm going to be real, he might land on his feet. My, my hot take is he might land on his feet in one of the other two teams that just fire their managers. I don't want to just go out right and say he's going to be the next Mets manager, but I could see it happening. If only because he's been a noted uh, proprietor of analytics He seems to uh, wrangle a clubhouse together very well, which is something that Buck was able to do and they no doubt want to replicate. And he just seems like a very down-to-earth kind of guy, someone who the Mets have really valued in their managers in their past. You couple that with analytics and a genuine, you know, knowledge and passion for the game, I could see them going for him. Am I going to predict that? No, because I don't know what David Stearns is going to go for, but he's the only one of the three, I will say, could have a job after being fired. Do I think he's a great manager? Not really that if you erase that 2021 season, he starts to look more like Brad Osmus than anyone else, but he se- he sounds like he knows what he's talking about and he does know how to cobble a clubhouse together. So we'll see. Uh, what we won't have to see about is the fact that among all the manager callings oh, among all the big league managers losing their jobs, one of them isn't because Brian Cashman needs his yes men. Aaron Boone, the only manager in New York, apparently has job security still. Why? I don't f***ing know. Probably that whole yes man thing, that's probably really important. If they're gonna come out and say, oh it's because he has a really great, uh, he's in touch with the locker room and the guys love him. Well, the Mets just fired Buck Showalter, who is the baseball equivalent of that friendly old man you meet at the library and he just makes you smile. If you can't fire Aaron Boone because of that, then I don't know, then... I don't know what other excuse you can give. That's all I've got to say. Aaron Boone doesn't deserve more of my time, nor does Brian Cashman. (laughs) Well,
0: here's the thing with Booney. He just signed a contract prior to the season. That was an extension. I'm not saying people can't be fired immediately after being extended, But that's also got to be part of the reason. And like you said, the guys like him. I I like also how the Yankees said they were going to kind of like do an audit of their team, and they already said Aaron Boone's going to be back even before the audit even begins. (laughs) Although, to be fair, again, and I've repeated this throughout the year, I'll repeat it again, this year was not Aaron Boone's fault. The cards he was dealt, much like a Gabe Kapler or Phil Nevin or... Buckshaw Walter. Yeah, literally just naming all the three guys that got fired. What creativity I just showed right there. He had a lot to deal with on his plate, and they still miraculously finished over 500, which honestly was a miracle given. Just go look at the Yankees production on offense on baseball reference. It's shocking how anemic it is. Just do it for yourself if you enjoy hating on the Yankees. If you're a masochist and you're a Yankee fan, that baseball reference page, will you'll have a field day with that one. That's all I'm going to say. Uh, I'm not going to say any more about Aaron Boone. <laughs> so, um, back back to the manager predictions, though. Uh, Nevin, he ain't getting another manager job. Maybe He'll probably say in baseball, but he ain't going to be a manager. Kapler, I don't think he'll land the Mets job. Honestly, I don't see him as a real fit there. If that's going to be David Stern's best man and best hire, the best guy available, I have questions about David Stern's right off the bat. I'm sorry, he could do (laughs) much better. And I mean that with all seriousness, too. Uh, And Buck Showalter, maybe he'll land in L.A. Um, Maybe he'll land in San Francisco, which would be... Again, I'm naming the things that are open, but that's all that we know right now. Um, L.A., San Francisco, I don't think the Angels would be good, because for obvious reasons, like, that's not the type of team Buck would want to manage. Obviously, he wants to get to a World Series, because he's never been to one as a manager, so... He kind of wants to win that. Uh, San Francisco would be intriguing because I think that could be the type of guy they might want to bring in. But again, I think there's still too many pieces away. The most interesting rumor I've heard, though, is possibly down in San Diego that uh, if Bob Melvin gets let go, Manny Machado reportedly loves Buck Walter. So maybe that could be the guy they end up hiring. Although to be fair, I think Bob Melvin and Buck Showalter are alike in many ways, not just because they're old, but they kind of (laughs) come from that same old school style approach, but maybe infusing some new school in there as well. So I really don't think they'd make that much of an improvement other than the morale in the locker room by adding Buck Showalter down in San Diego. And apparently there's rift between Preller and Melvin. They do not get along, supposedly. So that's an interesting situation to keep an eye out on.
1: Tom, this screams to me like a story that's going to break tomorrow, after we've already recorded, and we're both going to be pissed. (laughs) At (laughs) least when it comes to Melvin's status.
0: If that happens, I swear to God, I'm I'm gonna pl- I'm I'm gonna lawn dart myself across my yard, hoping I land on a spike and it goes through my heart. That's what I hope would happen.
1: Hey, now you sound like a Padres fan. There you go. I'll keep it short. I completely agree. If the Padres really don't want to make the World Series, they'll hire Buck Walter. Um, one last thing I'll say about this manager search, mm-hmm. and then probably end up moving on. Uh, Tom, you're going to know this stat by the time I start saying it, but Mets fans out there, in case you didn't know, your chances of winning the World Series next year just f-ing shot through the roof because it's a famous stat with Buck Walter that after he was let go by the Yankees and the Diamondbacks, the very next year they turned around and went to the World Series and won it. If that just happened to the Yankees, oh, you know, that's one thing. They were on the cusp of a dynasty anyway. And Buck may have been holding them back, but they were always, you know, a piece or two away from making it. That happened with the Diamondbacks. Five years into their existence. Riding the bats of Luis Gonzalez and probably nobody else. Actually, maybe Matt Williams. Uh, And the red-hot arm of Randy Johnson. But still, the five-year-old Diamondbacks got rid of Buck Showalter on One World Series. So congrats, Mets, on your 2024 World Series championship under the watchful eyes of whoever the hell as your manager. Maybe Tony La Russa. (laughs) That'd be funny. Oh, boy. But nevertheless, that'll just about do it for the manager. Uh, The great manager calling of 2023, as I called it. Let's move on to a bit of a smaller story here, Tom, but I think still impactful nonetheless. It was rumored throughout uh, the season that there was some infighting going on in the city of Baltimore. Ah, Yes. I mean that in regards to the Angelos family, the owners of the Baltimore Orioles, the much-loved owners of the Baltimore Orioles. Let me say, fans love him so, so much, especially when he came out and said, hey, having all this young talent is a bad thing because then we have to pay them. That's what you want your f***ing ownership brass to say, right? That's what you just love to hear as a fan? Uh, well, the good news is... Something good actually came out of the Angelos family for once as Baltimore governor, I believe his name is Wes Moore, announced at an Orioles game, I think it was around the time they actually clinched the AL East, that the state of Maryland and the Baltimore Orioles agreed to a deal keeping them in the city for at least 30 more years. Angelos can't do crap about it. They're there to stay. And I, for one, couldn't be happier. Even as a division rival, this team has been ludicrously fun to watch this year. They've got so much history there. Legends like we mentioned earlier, the late Great Brooks Robinson, uh, Frank Robinson, Jim Palmer, Mike Mussina, Boog Powell, the likes. There's going to be generations of Orioles fans that don't have to worry about their team moving to God knows where. And considering the crap that's going on with the Chicago White Sox and the Milwaukee Brewers right now, that's got to be a load off Orioles fans' minds. Just enjoy the postseason run, enjoy Gunnar Henderson and Adley Rutschman, and don't worry about the Angelos for the time being. You guys have earned it. That's really all I've got to say about this.
0: All I can say is I'm so happy for Baltimore fans out there. Big middle finger to the Angelos family. I know they partially might be responsible for getting this done, But based on their comments, like Tony said, oh, Nelly, I am so happy they have to deal with this. They'll be in Baltimore, like you said, for the next 30 years, or at least Maryland, I think it is. I don't know if it's necessarily Baltimore, but if they move away from Baltimore, then I don't know what the hell they're doing. There's nowhere else in Maryland that can support a team, no matter what you try and say. It comes at a perfect time, too, because imagine if the Orioles kind of sucked. Like, imagine if their rebuild just started last year. Do you think they would stay in Maryland for the next 30 years with the way they've talked about the team? I'm not so sure. I think maybe they could have moved to Nashville or somewhere else if that was the case. I'm just saying. I'm just speculating. I'm being a little rumor bird, a rumor mill, what have you. But, yeah, they're in Maryland. It's a good thing. They've got a beautiful stadium They've got the right fan base whenever they feel like being in touch with them and they don't try and, and Angelos family doesn't try to piss them off or try and piss off your announcers in Baseball Nation by threatening to fire (laughs) Kevin Brown because he made a factual statement.
1: I forgot about that.
0: Yeah, I want to forget about that. (laughs) So there's so much wrong with how the Orioles are run, but at least they got this right. Like you were saying, with the rich history and everything... About Baltimore, I'm glad they're staying. So that's a good thing. That's pro- hopefully a bridge we don't have to cross for a very, very long time. So that's that. Orioles are staying in Maryland. All right, so now the kind of last diet headline that we've got for this week and to wrap up the regular season, of course, is to say farewell to possibly three legends of the game that have graced us for the past 20 years or so. Not all of them have played that long, of course, but they've just entertained us for over that 20-year span, at least in the lifetime of myself and Tony Puglisi. Uh, And those players being Miguel Cabrera, Adam Wainwright, and possibly Joey Vada. We don't know if he's necessarily retiring. Cincinnati certainly gave him a hell of an ovation. It seems like he might not be returning there, which would be very sad, but... It is what it is, given the direction of the organization and kind of just how much more Joey Vado can actually contribute on a baseball field. Odds might not be in his favor, unfortunately, for uh, Joey Vado. But if he did go out, and I'll just start with him first because we don't know if he's actually retiring or not, his final game of his career... He got ejected from in the middle of the first inning or the bottom of the first inning because he was yelling from the dugout, which he later went on to say was warranted. I will give him credit for being self-humbling uh, about that. He said it was warranted and he shouldn't have done that from the dugout, and he apologized for that. But at the same time, I don't know exactly what was said by Joey Vado. I know sometimes he doesn't have necessarily the cleanness of language. Although I find it hilarious, (laughs) umpires don't because they're tight up and wound and all that other BS. But at the time it looked like the umpire probably should have had a little bit more common sense with ejecting Joey Votto, knowing the situation a little bit more. You don't necessarily want to eject the Titan of the game and possibly his final career game. Although I will say if that's it for Votto, hell of a way to go out. And that is the perfect (laughs) way for Joey Votto
1: to go out, I must say. Dude, that would be the stuff of legends. I mean, I don't want to say that'll define his legacy because obviously his tremendous career is going to define his legacy. But, dude, imagine like, hey, remember when Joey Votto got tossed in his last game? That that makes him seem nails, just tough as hell. That's Honestly, that's a fantastic image for Joey Votto. If I was him, I would embrace that with every fiber of my being. And, I mean, hell, the duality of man. To be able to do that and then voice the French narrator in the local Spongebob play. Listen to our previous episode to hear more about that. It's awesome. Uh, <laughs> and more in line with that, since we did just talk about Joey Votto in the last episode, I'm not going to go too, too deep into you know his stats and how great it would be if that was his final farewell because it was so fitting, so humbling for him in front of his home crowd. I'll just say, if it was his final game, then... Thank you so much for the amazing career, Joey. Best Mm -hmm. of luck in retirement as a bus driver, a performer, whatever, a famous TikToker, whatever he ends up doing. A Canadian mountain guard. Oh, yeah, maybe a Canadian Mountie. He definitely looks the part. He's definitely going to have fun no matter what he ends up doing in retirement. I know that for damn sure. And for what it's worth, Tom, I truly believe the Reds are in good hands if he doesn't end up coming back. I, honest to God, like, hand to God, it hit me the other day. I got a notification from MLB showing that the Reds submitted their lineup card. No Joey Votto in sight. And it looked like a team that could compete in a good year or two. I mean, when your first base depth without Joey Votto is guys like Spencer Steer, Christian Encarnacion Strand, and the occasional playing of Matt McClain when he's not out for the season. No, he's predominantly a second baseman but he's moved around uh yeah no the reds infield's in really good hands and we've said that throughout the season if it was his last game congrats if not maybe we'll see him in a new uniform ne- next year that might be interesting to see let's move on up the list to the other gentleman we've talked about recently and adam wainwright he recently got his 200th win as we talked about previously but tom adam wainwright did something else that was really, really awesome to commemorate the end of his career. Did mm-hmm. you catch it, by any chance? I did. He did it twice in his final two games. They uh, they gave him two opportunities outside of pitching that were uh, very interesting, to say the least. Yeah, they definitely did. One of them we talked about already, and that was giving a lovely country music concert to the fans of Bush Stadium, which, by the way, said something beautiful at the end of his set, just expressed how appreciative he was. Loves the fans, loves the team, loves the city, all the good stuff. You love to hear it out of a veteran and respected individual like Adam Wainwright. The other thing the Cardinals allotted him to do, I love this, Tom. They gave him an at-bat in his final game. There were whispers coming out that like, oh, Adam Wainwright's not going to pitch the rest of the year. He's got his 200th win, now he's going to sit out. It was one more week, everyone understood. And then there was a whisper coming out saying Wainer wanted to hit (laughs) <laughs> and everyone just kind of went, oh, man, wouldn't that be cool? Wouldn't that be awesome?" Lo and behold, apparently, Ollie Marmol loves a storybook ending because he sent Adam Wainwright out in the bottom of the sixth inning of a blowout loss to Cincinnati, and he did not get a base hit. However, what he did do is f- smoke it, Tom. I think he hit it what, like 103 miles an hour or something yeah. like that. I'm trying to comb through. I'm trying to comb through Twitter. I found the at bat. I did not find the exit velo, but it was a pretty respectable exit velo. So good for Wayno. And moreover, good for Wayno's kids, because this is a funny story. He always told his kids that they couldn't get a dog until he retired from baseball. And what did the Cardinals give him as a retirement present? But a puppy. That is just so awesome. I I, I can't help but get sentimental about that stuff, man. To quote one of my favorite movies, how could you not be romantic about baseball? Oh, and when the dog had a Cardinals jersey on, even cuter.
0: Yes, the dog's name, by the way, Louie. Could be in reference to Lou Brock. Could be in reference to someone. Oh, my God, I can't speak English. <laughs> uh, it could be in reference to something else that I really <laughs> am not familiarized with. But yeah, no, that was a, a very interesting story as well. We talked about him and y- you laid everything out as great as you possibly could about wayno's final game. So thank you, wayno Thank you, Vado. And now Miggy. Uh, The most significant one, the one we knew about at the beginning of the year, finally finished his retirement trip. They gave him a lot of things on uh, his final day. They gave him like a cleats, like with baseballs from some of his milestones that he's accomplished over the course of his career. The baseballs were ingrained into the cleats, which I thought was really cool. I think he got something out in like center field or something like that. Like they put his number up or something like that. I forget what that was but that was really cool. I think they put like the number 24 and it had like a certain amount of baseballs, like in reference to his home runs or what, or whatnot. Possibly the funniest thing though, actually I should probably get to the sentimental stuff first. They had his kids out there at the first game. They announced him on the, uh, PA saying now batting, uh, Biggie and whatnot, which is very heartwarming moment. And the final play of his career, uh, because he got taken out out of it, I forget that one quote. I'm going to have to find it on Twitter. It was a ground ball that he scooped up and he was able to make the play like Vintage Mickey. and then he was pulled right out of the game because Spotlight was able to be on him. Uh, I, I want to find that quote because it was a really good quote from the announcer. I think it was in reference to something. So the quote I'm referencing is actually just the simple quote, the ball will always Find you. Uh that was the voice of Dan Dickerson, I believe it was the radio guy for the Detroit Tigers that had that quote in again Miguel Cabrera's final play. And it does. That childhood spirit that Miguel Cabrera always brought to the game. The many balls that he mashed over the course of his career, whether they went out of the park, over the fence, or over the three thousand hits that he accomplished over the field, the ball will always find you. Baseball will always be with you in one way or another, it'll always gravitate around you if you really have that true love for the game like Miguel Cabrera does. So I I just thought that was an incredible quote. It's simple, but simplicity works well. With that quote, the ball will always find you, and that's something that we can remember Miguel Cabrera by. Tony, I'll let you speak about Miguel Cabrera a little bit more in a minute, but I also just want to point out they got him like a golf cart or something like that that they brought into the locker room, and he was joyriding it around the locker room. I guess it was before the game or something like that, like just whipping around the corners and whatnot. Hilarious video on Twitter. Please go find that if you haven't already seen that from uh, Miguel Cabrera in the locker room, either before or after
1: the game. That was absolutely hilarious. Hope you know I'm actually looking it up right now, or at at least something involving Miguel Cabrera, because I did see a nice story, or a nice exchange he had with Spencer Torkelson following his last game here we go this is from John Boy Media on Twitter Mickey didn't have a glove when he got put in at first base today so we had to borrow Spencer Torkelson's he used it to field the final out the final out of his career and then returned it autographed to Torkelson if that is not the most literal interpretation of a passing of the torch for Spencer Torkelson I don't know what is but also just a class act for Mickey that That is going to be something Torkelson appreciates for the rest of his life. And Miguel Cabrera, I mean, what else could I even say, man? You wrapped up the festivities hosted by the Detroit Tigers perfectly, so I'm going to spew some numbers about how great uh, Miguel Cabrera is for a couple seconds. He's going to finish his career with 511 home runs, 3,174 hits, a career OPS plus of 140. He's going to go down as an all-time great. Over 300 for the career batting average, even in his lesser later years that were hampered by injuries. Two-time MVP, one triple crown, 12-time All-Star, won the World Series with the Marlins in 03, four batting titles, seven Silver Sluggers. Miguel is special. Putting that, I think, is light. It, that's very light. A very light way of describing Miguel Cabrera. He is one of the best right-handed bats of all time. He's going to the Hall of Fame. He'll get his number retired. And we were nothing short of privileged to get to watch him play. In what's definitely his final season, and what's making me feel old as hell just to say, congrats on an all-time career to Miguel Cabrera. Now, Tom, with these diet headlines, I guess you could say kind of out of the way. let say we actually talk some MLB postseason. Oh, sure. Because we've got all the seedings, we've got all the teams, we've got everything we need. But first, super-duper quick, and I do mean super-duper quick because these diet headlines were a little less diet than I had anticipated them being. Let's point and laugh a little bit because what is the game of baseball without a little (laughs) bit of suffering? And a select few number of teams decided to do that suffering for us, Tom, and the top team that I wrote down was the Chicago Cubs, because they, basically, in the span of a couple weeks, assassinated any chance they had of making the playoffs. They had a good run there for a bit. I'm pretty sure towards the beginning of the month, they had a playoff percentage, or rather a 90-some-odd a percent chance to make it into the playoffs. Oh my god, on September 6th, they had a 92% chance. That's depressing, They did that off the backs of some truly depressing losses to the Braves, which I'd like to point out, I predicted. I didn't think they'd get past the Braves. And by God, not only did they lose, they got embarrassed. Mike Talkman (laughs) does not know how to catch a baseball in the outfield, nor does the Cubs bullpen know how to make any good timely pitches. Granted, it was to the Braves, which greatest offense this year, but they also got embarrassed by the Brewers. And by then it was too late. They got lapped and they missed help by a game who I'd argue is almost as embarrassing, if, if only by one game alone, Tom, and that's the Cincinnati Reds. Hmm. And you may be wondering, like, oh, what happened to the Reds? They just fell down to earth a little bit. You know, they probably weren't going to make the playoffs anyway. What could have happened that embarrassed them so? Well, dear listener, I'll tell you. Harken back with me to September the 23rd of 2023 where they are playing the lowly Pittsburgh Pirates in what is basically a must-win game considering all of their competitors for the playoffs had already won. They're playing the Pirates at home with playoff implications on the line and they put up nine runs in the first three innings. What is a competitive team to do? Other than blow that goddamn lead like it's nothing. They lost that game after giving up, or rather, after putting up nine runs on the Pirates. Final score was 13-12. to 12. I'm sorry, if you lose that, you don't deserve to go anywhere near the playoffs. There were more implications, but that game killed their season, that's all. Tom... I'll let you take the reins from here, talk about our latter two teams, and offer some thoughts about the Cubs and Reds if you'd like, because, my God, I should not be the only one relishing in this this delicious (laughs) suffering.
0: Yeah, I don't really have that much to say about the Reds, because I did not see them making the postseason— neither at the beginning of the year or when we were doing our predictions two weeks ago, just kind of laying out how we thought the rest of the season would go. Yeah, you can't blow a nine-run lead to the Pittsburgh Pirates. That's an absolute clown show. But the Reds are not (laughs) susceptible, or they are susceptible, to September collapses. If you remember two years ago in 2021, we all thought they would have a cakewalk into the postseason because they had by far the easiest schedule in the league at that point. And they squandered that completely in 2021 and went 11-15 in the month of September <laughs> and 1-2 and in October, en route to finishing 83-79, and 79, third in the National League Central, barely missing the playoff spot, and the Reds have gone downhill since, obviously, rebounding this year, and they do have a bright future, I will add. Funnily enough, the Chicago Cubs also finished this year 83-79. and 79 much like the Cincinnati Reds of two years ago. This time, the Cubs actually finished in second place in the National League Central. But boy, howdy, did they collapse in September, just like the Cincinnati Reds did two years ago. Again, not only finishing with the same record, but damn near identical records in the month of September and October. 12-16 and off by one game. They were, in the month of September, 12-16. and 16. They actually scored more runs than they gave up, so that's kind of sad. They lost their one game in October, by the way, so you can say 12-17 and 17 if you honestly really want to. And the point I'm really trying to get at here is, if we're going to talk about the Cubs, it's very fair to bring up the Cincinnati Reds of two years ago and argue the Cubs' their collapse arguably is worse than the Cincinnati Reds of two years ago's collapse. Now, I will say the Chicago Cubs' schedule this year wasn't necessarily the easiest in the month of September but we cannot excuse the collapse of the Chicago Cubs they should have made the playoffs they should have been the five seed and honestly to not make the postseason is a complete monumental failure on the Cubs part not that anybody again was really expecting them to make the postseason this year but when you're that close well sorry it's a failure if you don't make the postseason moving on we do have three more teams we're going to talk about before we start to look a little bit actually backwards. And if we if you really think we're going to laugh at some of these other teams that kind of choked a little bit, well, just hold, hold, hold your beer. Uh, so first off, before we look a lot further back, we're going to look only a little bit back and we're going to talk about the San Diego Padres. All Tony put is that the Padres exist, LOL, on the rundown, and that's <laughs> honestly really the mood for the San Diego Padres. They made that last-minute push, but ultimately, they could not get there. Essentially, from what I saw, and it's come, kind of something I've hinted at in the past few times we talked about the Padres, I think they were like the te- one of the teams in MLB history to kind of have a run differential that favored them. But they somehow didn't make the playoffs. They kind of made history in that regard, I'm pretty sure. I'll try and find it to give you the exact number, and I'll let Tony speak a little bit more about the Padres uh, while I look that up. But they had the World Series or bust odds, as evidenced by Tony and I's predictions in the preseason, which, again, we'll get to, so you can properly clown us at that point in time. But they were World Series or bust. They brought in the right manager, seemingly. They had the right players, seemingly. They were overexpending. I mean, that's definitely, that's not seemingly. And it proves that money doesn't necessarily buy success, as evidenced by the Yankees and the Mets also not making the postseason, meaning the team, the three teams with the top payrolls in baseball did not make the playoffs. That is uh, truly unfortunate, at least in the statement of one of those teams, because I really would have loved to see the Yankees in October, but that defeats the point. Tony, I'll let you talk about the Padres now, because you probably have some very funny things to say about them.
1: I don't know about funny. I think I used up all my funny when I wrote the Padres exist lol on the rundown, because frankly, that's the best way you could describe the season, and frankly, I don't... We've talked about them before. I don't have much else new to add other than this little, like, mini-segment I like to call The Only People I Feel Bad For amidst the Padres' collapse. Exhibit A, ha Kim came out of nowhere and broke out this year to be a well-above-average hitter. In addition to a gold-glove caliber defender, he finished with a 110 OPS+. He had peaked at around 120, if memory serves. Good for him. Guy I feel bad for number two, Xander Bogarts. Was kind of the team whipping boy at the beginning of the year when he struggled to get going, but he turned it on in the second half big time. He did finish with a 120 OPS plus with just a shade under 20 homers. Definitely not his best season, but, you know, still adjusting to a pitcher's ballpark will do that to you. Guy I feel bad for, number three, Juan Soto. Yeah, what's a down year to Juan Soto, you may ask? Yeah, try a 158 OPS plus with a 35 homer, 100 RBI season. Yankees, if the Padres are even a little bit interested in trading him, offer anyone not named Judge, Volpe, or Cole, and f*** run. Guy I feel bad for number three. Never thought I'd say this, Fernando Tatis Jr. First player in MLB history to have a 25-25-25 season. Shout out to Fuzzy for this stat. 25 homers, 25 steals. 25 defensive runs saved, you heard me right, he saved 25 outs above average in right field. In his first full season in right field, that deserves some kudos. And lastly, guy I feel bad for, number 5, Blake Snell, who, much like a uh, certain pitcher in pinstripes, got a Cy Young caliber season wasted on a team that just barely squeaked above 500. But seriously, man, props to Blake Snell, 182 ERA+. Plus. I thought, everybody thought he was cooked, and he just casually turned out his best season since 2018. That's all I got to say about the Padres.
0: Hmm. Uh, I found the
1: numbers that I was referring to,
0: by the way. And It's actually a series of numbers. What you got? So the Padres had not only a Cy Young winner, not only a plus 104 run differential, not only a team ERA of 373, which, by the way, was the second best in Major League Baseball this year, not only three players with 25-plus home runs. Not only a two thirty-five batting average, which was fourth in Major League Baseball. Not only a three twenty-nine OBP, which was seventh in Major League Baseball. Not only a reliever with a one twenty eight ERA. Not only with four players above F-4. I actually don't have anything else. I don't know why I kept doing the not-only thing. But the point <laughs> is, they actually had a lot going for them, and they still missed the playoffs. I think it ultimately comes down to just how many one-run games they actually lost, because it's really sad. In one-run games this year, they were 9-23. Not good. (laughs) What? (laughs) They were (sighs) 9-23 in one-run games this year. Ladies and gentlemen, that's your costly factor of the season. By the way, in extra innings too, 2-12. so that wasn't necessarily great Jesus either. Jesus
1: Christ.
0: They failed in those two departments, and that's where your failures lie. You can argue that there was rifting and all that stuff, but at the end of the day, those two things, oof. Not necessarily the extra innings thing, because again, that's kind of more wishy washy with the ghost runner and all that crap, but that one run game, I mean, Jesus, you gotta do better than that in nine and twenty-three. It's pretty sad, Tony. Uh, Let's continue on the sadness train and talk about the San Francisco Giants. They, as you so eloquently put, they choked so hard that they fired their manager. And you also put that the 2021 season needs to be investigated further. Yeah, that I can kind of agree with you with because, again, that was some voodoo magic that they even got 107 wins. But yeah, the Giants kind of did choke a little. Correct me if I'm wrong, Tony. I don't really think they had a playoff position necessarily for much of the season but again, like some of these teams, they didn't necessarily have the hardest schedule down the stretch either. I think they did have some promise going for them, but I think ultimately at the end of the day when it comes down to the Giants, because again, they didn't have a record that was a winning record. They were 79 and 83, so there were some faults along the way, and I think it comes down to just kind of a lack of talent in that regard when it comes down to the San Francisco Giants. I mean, their Pythagorean win-loss was only 76 and 86, so it's not like they're really a great team on paper, if I'm being completely honest. What are you laughing about?
1: Sorry, I don't mean to cut you off. Are you on their baseball reference page? The Giants? Yes.
0: I am on their baseball reference page. Where would you like to uh, lead my eyes towards?
1: I'd like to lead your eyes to their starting pitching. <laughs> Oh, God. Because for those of you who don't know, Baseball Reference pretty much always has like five or six men in that starting pitching spot, even if they're injured or sent down, just to show that they've contributed at the starting pitching level. Uh, the Giants have displayed the Diamond, the Diamond Duo branded tandem of Cobb Webb, Alex Cobb and Logan Webb, TM Tony Puglisi, whenever I said that, uh, and Anthony D. Sclafani. That's right, three pitchers. Oh, and here's the <laughs> twist: Anthony DiSclofani's been out for the year for months. They don't have hitting. They don't have a starting rotation. They have like half of a bullpen. And I'll give them credit; they've got some <laughs> underrated hitters. Wilmer Flores is really good. Tyro Estrada is really good. I'll die on that hill. But they're just—they're just an incomplete team. I'm not going to steal your spotlight, Tom. That's all I'll say. They're just incomplete. Please continue. <laughs>
0: I mean, you were kind of adding to my point there with the lack of talent. I mean, for Christ's sake, there's only three guys that started over 18 games. And again, one of them is on the 60 day yeah. IL right now. The rest of them either started 13 games or less, so clearly the term starting pitcher doesn't hold a whole lot of value in the San Francisco Giants clubhouse. (laughs) That also being said, uh, their highest war get, okay, Logan Webb actually put up 5.6 war. That's actually really good. Their next highest was Wilmer Flores at 2.6, so there's kind of a huge drop off there. Just not a lot of rum producers. Yeah, not great. Not great at all. But it comes down to they don't have enough run producers, they don't have enough talent. That's all I really got to say about the San Francisco Giants. This doesn't come as a surprise to me.
1: Yeah, no, totally fair. Don't have much else to add other than I don't know what the hell past Tony was thinking having some modicum of faith in this team. Nevertheless, Giants have made it clear that they're still a few steps away. Maybe a little Marco Luciano or a full season of Kyle Harrison fixes that. But that's yet to be seen. Last but not least... Let's talk about the Seattle Mariners, Tom. A team that I and so many baseball fans foolishly had hope for until we remembered which team we were rooting for. The one that is physically incapable of stitching together two really good seasons. I mean, they did it back when, like 2002, 2003? It's against the law for them to do it nowadays, because even though they did have a pretty good season, you know, third place in a pretty stacked AL West, 88 wins... But it wasn't enough. They finish outside the playoffs again. They've still not made back-to-back playoffs in team history. This was a brutal choke job, if you ask me, by the Seattle Mariners that are no strangers to choking. In September, I'm actually going to pull up their record in September because I want to be sad. Uh, here we go. Their September record was 11-17. and 17. Mind you, that's after a 17-9 July and a 21-6 August. How do you follow up two of the best months of the season with that? That's not the worst month I've ever seen. It wasn't even the worst month of the season. They went 9-15 in June, but with your season on the line, you cannot choke like that. You cannot choke like that. And it wasn't even one guy. There were, you know, culprits but that's the thing. That was a team effort. You know how when your team does really well, you say it was a team effort? Well, this was a losing team effort. Basically, everyone not named Rodriguez, Kirby, Castillo, and Crawford. Low-key, JP Crawford. Oh, and Teoscar Hernandez, but low-key, JP Crawford. One of the more underrated players in baseball this year, but everyone outside of them went ice cold. Ty France is barely starting caliber anymore. Jared Kelnick came back and played like Absolute garbage. Yankees legend Mike Ford did all he could do, but could only lift this team so far. And even the pitching rotation. Like, I said Castillo was free from blame, but he had some stinker starts down the stretch. It was really Kirby's show. And then the rest of the rotation just couldn't hold it together. Logan Gilbert was good, not great, and Bryce Miller and Brian Wu were just a little too young. That's it. I think... I want to have faith in the Mariners going into next season. And on paper, they still have a really good roster, if they can maintain a bunch of the guys. I know Teoscar Hernandez, among others, are going to be free agents, but they should be good next year. We'll see how they fare in that division. That's all I'm going to say. This is far from the worst choke job in their history, which is really, really sad to say, but it's not their worst. Hopefully they'll be back, but that's soon to be seen. I want to see Julio in more playoff games. Yeah, it's uh, really sad. Here's some more
0: stats for you, just because I find this kind of funny. And this isn't really indicative of really the Mariners as a whole, but you can if you want to. So the Mariners, they were 47 and 48 before Jared Kelnick broke his foot kicking a water cooler. They went 32 and 16 in his absence and then proceeded to go 8 and 9. I think 8 and 10 it actually wound up being and have been eliminated from playoff contention since his return. Or maybe it was 9 and 10, whatever the case is. The point is, somehow this team is worse with one of their better players on their roster. And that's a stretch, because Jared Kelnick is far from a finished product at this rate. But I just remember (laughs) seeing that on Twitter, and I thought that was kind of funny. All seriousness, though, unfortunately, this is kind of how I know the Seattle Mariners, because I know... When I was growing up, like in 2012, 2013, they kind of had the same thing happen. They won like 89 wins or something like that, 87 or whatever. And they fell short just at the finish line again. It's kind of the team that can't finish. And that's something the Seattle Mariners are kind of unfortunately known for. Like you mentioned, they haven't made back-to-back playoff appearances in franchise history. It's really sad. The season I think you're referring to was 2001. They won 116 games that year. Nothing really positive positive. I can really tell I can really take away from it. I mean, they finished fourth in attendance. I mean, they would make the playoffs if attendance counted as like a playoff (laughs) factor. So good for them for drawing 2.6, nearly 2.7 million fans. That's really cool. That proves that baseball works in Seattle. But ultimately, this was the case for them last season. And I'm going to stretch it out uh, to this season as well. You got to perform better in the first half. This team is strictly a second-half team, obviously not in this month of September, but you're looking at July and August, and they're historically great, and they still miss the postseason. If you just finish a little bit better in the first half, you know, maybe not going 11-15 and 15 in April, not going 9-15 and 15 in June. You actually played a good male, given that they went 17-11. But you can't be good for only half the months in baseball and then be great the rest. You gotta have a full effort, and this is sad to say, because this team, again, won 88 wins. They'd make the playoffs if they were in the National League, but they're not, and they're in the juggernaut that was the AL West, and they're the team, unfortunately, that's, they're like that, they're like that scene out of a movie or something like that, when you got somebody, like, down in the dumps looking inside the window to the family, kind of eating that hot meal, and it's really cold outside and whatnot. That's the Seattle Mariners right now, (laughs) because they can't make the postseason, Once again, but that is what it is. That's in the past. Let's start looking at the future. We've got the playoffs to predict, Tony. But first, and we're gonna go through this a lot quicker than I initially planned to, because of how long we've been recording at this rate. Let's look back at our horrendous preseason picks, please. I I don't really want to do this, but this is the this is the natural part of the show where we have to clown each other for our terrible, terrible picks and our (laughs)
1: over unders and all that. Tony, you can take it away. Let's take it away, because as much clowning as we did on all these teams, they're still Major League Baseball players. We're not. Probably no one listening is. So let's clown on ourselves a little bit. Tom, let's see. Where do we want to start? I've got the Instagram post pulled up, and it's right started at the American League East, and I put the Yankees as first. Off to a great start already. Granted, you put the Blue Jays as first, which isn't so much better. But yeah, clear as day, we both massively undersold the Orioles. We put them as fourth. It's something you astutely pointed out. Probably our best hit of this entire selection. We both put the Red Sox at fifth. You gave them 79 wins. I gave them 77. And they finished at 78. That's good. You mentioned that before we started recording. I'm still impressed we managed to hit that hard. So... Pat on the backs to us uh, yeah, immediately good. rescind those immediately rescind those, though, because I'm looking at the NL East and you had the Mets winning with one hundred and two. Okay, OK, we don't need to talk about that. <laughs> There's, I, yes, we do. Yes, we do. I'm go I'm making it an effort to find your biggest flub. And I'm going to be honest, I think that one might be it, because yeah. not only not only did they not win one hundred games, they almost lost one hundred games. Yeah, well, well, they... hold, well, okay, well, hold on, Skippy. You put them in second, and you had them at an over-under
0: of 96 wins. That's not much yes. better either. Granted, you didn't give them 102, so I'll
1: give you that. But you're not out of the woods either here. <laughs> I didn't say I was out of the woods. I'm just saying your pick was worse, and I tempered my expectations a little bit. I was skeptical about Scherzer and Verlander, which turned out to be the right move. Mm-hmm. I Granted, I, I should have been way higher on the Braves. I put them in first, but I only gave them 98 wins all uh, right hey what are you gonna do well how about this
0: uh, let's keep looking down at the end at least because this is where tom hit hard now i put the phillies in third we both did but i gave them 90 wins and surprise surprise they won 90 games i hit that right on the head
1: mother all right that was a great pick by tom bauer i do say so myself fair enough i mean i gave him 89 i'm not gonna count that as an l for me but solid pick Solid pick. We were both insanely low on the Marlins. That was a team oh, we both missed big on. They won 84 games. I gave them 70, <laughs> and Tom gave them 72, so not our best showing there. Even the national surprised us. I had no idea they won 71 games. Yeah, I put them at 59. We don't need to talk about that. Yeah, Listen, I put uh, them let's... at
0: 60. We're not worse, but we did project them in the right spot, so at least we got that right. We knew they were going to suck ass, and we were completely right on that. Surprise, surprise.
1: Fair enough. You want to know what we weren't completely right on, Tom? The AL Central. Yeah, that was a um, shoot. I'm going to throw myself right into the line of fire for this one. I put the White Sox a second. <laughs> <laughs>
0: That might be the most egregious thing on this list, I'm sorry. You gave them 85 wins as an over-under, and you put them in second. (laughs) I at least had the audacity to put them in third. I gave them 80 wins, so, I mean, they only won 60. Wow, they finished 61-101. and Oh my god, this was a lot worse than I thought it was.
1: (laughs) That's what I'm saying, it's like you with the Mets, but in reverse. 80 wins is still not great, but I will absolutely jump on the live grenade. I said, I distinctly remember when we were building this, I said it was a risk because I thought the Twins had a higher floor, but the White Sox had a higher ceiling. Mother of God, the White Sox don't even have a ceiling anymore. All they have is floor, floor, and nothing but a bottomless pit of floor. I don't know why I put them at second. We both muffed number one, though. We both put Cleveland. Yeah. You gave them 93, I gave them 90. They didn't even finish above 500. More embarrassingly, though, they finished below the Tigers, which we also both undersold. We both put them in fifth, which I guess at the time seemed reasonable because we didn't expect how historically bad the Royals would be. But no, the Tigers somehow finished in second, and we missed the Twins winning the easiest division in MLB history. Surprise, surprise. So, yeah, big shocker right there. You want to know what else is a big shocker? What's that? The National League Central. Oh, boy. What the f*** is this division? I'm still in shock (sighs) the Cardinals actually finished last. You know that whole phrase, worst to first? Yeah, the Cardinals went from first to worst. I don't Mm -hmm. know how many times I've seen that happen, at least successfully, but we both took L's on that one. We put the Cardinals at one. I'll give you this. Cubs at second was ballsy, and it paid off. You almost got their win total right, too. That's right. 82 wins. They won 83.
0: I hit that one, too. That was a very big swing and a win. That was a walk-off home run for Tom Bauer. Now, unfortunately, I put the Brewers in third at 81 wins. That was my bold prediction, and that one miserably flopped. To be fair, though, who expected the Cardinals to only win 71 games? I thought the Brewers
1: were going to fall off and fall off hard, but clearly I was mistaken. I love how your definition of fall off hard is 81 wins and third place versus the Cardinals who actually fell off hard at 71 and dead last below the pirates, (laughs) who might I also mention we were also a little mean to we both gave them 62. They finished with 76 and the Reds obviously one of the biggest surprises of the season massively overperformed our over under as well. Yes,
0: we gave them 63 and 66 wins, so yeah, they won 82. Just let that sink in.
1: (laughs) Goes to show that you should never listen to anyone about baseball, ever. Except me, like, one out of five times. (laughs) Oh, we'll get to that when we get to the awards, or the postseason, rather. Yeah, great. The West, I'm going to breeze through this because we had the exact same ones and we've already gone on this long enough Mm -hmm. Uh, L on both of us for the Rangers L on both of us low-key for the A's because we were too nice to them (laughs) (laughs) We gave them The lowest was Tom who gave them 58 wins They won 50 and they lost 112 games Oh boy That's hysterical We were both too nice to the Mariners but not by much 91 and 92 and they won 88 that's not terrible that's not bad at all we put
0: them in second they finished in third that that's honestly pretty good if you ask me now we both i think put them in the playoffs and they didn't make it obviously because the rangers overperformed we both put them in fourth we wow we gave the angels a lot more credit where credit was due to be fair their offseason was pretty good (laughs) the rangers i gave him 77 tony gave him 74 jesus and the rangers finished in second (laughs) and probably should have won the al west but they choked at the last second
1: What are you going to do? And those goddamn Astros, of course, had to take it. We were both way too bullish on their win total. They only ended with 90. Tom gave them 102. I gave them 99. So we were way too high on them. But it's the Astros. Can you blame us? Now, I would like to point something about, about, out about the Astros now that I'm looking
0: at the standings. They weren't great at home. They were fantastic on the road. They were 51-30 and 30 this year on the road, 39-42 and 42 at home. Maybe wow. something to consider when we're doing our playoff predictions. I just wanted to throw that Ooh. into the fire before we got there.
1: Okay, okay, I see you. That is actually kind of wild. I always thought Minimade was a death trap. Speaking of death trap, oh my god, Tom, This oh. this National League West prediction... Really Do you know that Twitter page, baseball images that precede unfortunate disaster? We should send this to them because, yeah. oh my God, we, we actually put the Padres in first with 95 yeah. plus wins. That's really bad. Uh... I mean, we kind of got the Dodgers because we were within like five some odd wins, but that's not saying much. That's
0: not, I mean, they won 100, and I gave them 96, you gave them 94. That was pretty good. And again, it wasn't, unre- These this prediction I don't think was unreasonable, though, because everybody was overselling the Padres. I thought they were going to win the World oh, Series yeah. because I thought they were actually going to pay off and continue to go further, but clearly we're wrong, and the Padres are an ultimate failure. Arizona is the next most interesting team, and they won 84 wins, but we both said they were only a step or two away. We were very high on them in the offseason, in the preseason. We gave them 78 and 79 third. They made the playoffs at 84. So honestly, massive props to the Diamondbacks for also finishing ahead of the Padres, but also making the playoffs and finishing in second place. And they exceeded our expectations. But I don't think this is a real surprise, honestly.
1: I honestly don't think it is either, especially with how how their gambles, I guess you could say, have actually paid off, especially with that hitting core, seeing the young guys develop like Carroll, Geraldo Perdomo and the like, seeing Ketel Marte bounce back. So, honestly, they should be a team to watch out for in that West for some years to come, especially if the Padres continue to trip over their own goddamn shoelaces. Speaking of tripping over shoelaces, we pretty much hit the Giants on the head. Fourth place, they got 79 wins. Tom and I guessed 76 and 77, respectively. Kind of a W for us. Not a bad pick at all. We did give the Rockies a little too much credit, though. Mm. I don't know why we gave them so many. They won 59 we both gave them 69 and 65 respectively. I feel like you gave them 69 as a joke. I did. But at the same time, <laughs> at the same time we at least got that right. We got the bottom two right, which isn't saying much. That's still sad, but still. Yeah. Let's get into the playoff predictions and because
0: mine came first on the slides. So here was the actual field that made the playoffs. It went Baltimore, Houston, Minnesota, and then it went Tampa Bay, texas and toronto my prediction in the american league was houston toronto cleveland the yankees mariners and twins yeah not good i got a uh, 50 percent success rate and they were not in the right places at all not good for me in the american league front tony had the houston astros the yankees and cleveland and then toronto seattle and tampa so, Tony actually had the exact same hit rate as I did in the American League, so I guess we can both equally feel just as bad there. Tony and his ALCS had Houston over the Yankees, which I thought was ludicrous, but mine was arguably worse, because I had Houston over the Guardians. <laughs> so, yeah, we, th- they were both uh, very, very bad it. picks, at least in the loser. Houston still has a very good chance to make the ALCS, I will say that, so we could still be right there. And they could still go on to the World Series, unfortunately. But uh, that was a miss. Uh, Tony, how did the National League fare? Well, actually, this is a trick question.
1: We had the exact same teams making it. <laughs> I was going to say, the only thing that changed was the seeding. We both predicted. the. This is Tom's order, by the way. I'm starting with Tom's because, oh, my God, these division winners. Mets, Padres, Cardinals as 1-2-3. That stings. But at least we got the next three right with the Braves. Dodgers, and Phillies, I had the exact same prediction, just switched the Braves and the Mets, so pretty big L on both of our parts. The NLCS shaped up the exact same way for both of us, with San Diego of all teams over the Padres- uh nice job idiot (laughs) san diego over the braves (laughs) and then lastly san diego over the astros in the world series please roast us because that is a hilariously bad prediction and i can't guarantee i won't make a stupid one like that again probably in a few minutes because we're about to predict the actual playoffs oh boy but before we do that i do want to highlight some of our actual awards predictions obviously awards aren't set in stone but Tom, you and I are never allowed to predict AL Cy Young winners again. Tom picked Alec <laughs> Manoa and I picked Christian Javier. Don't ever okay. listen to us for American League Cy Young. Uh, okay. Nationally, too. Okay. I'd I, I like to
0: point out, at least I'm going to give you some defense. You said you were just trying to be bold with Christian Javier. I thought that was a stupid choice on your end from the get-go, but at least you acknowledged you were trying to be bold. I actually thought this through and thought Alec Manoa had a reasonable chance at winning the Cy Young, but then the Hamburglar Hamburgled his way out of the starting rotation of the Toronto Blue Jays, and he definitely didn't win the Cy Young. He won the least worth. I don't even... There's not a... uh Elsa Younger, somebody like has a better name LVP. for the not LVP. Uh, that wasn't good. So n- especially me, I am completely over to I had Giolito and Manoa winning the past <laughs> two years, and uh, Tony. All I'm gonna say next year is you better not hope I pick Eric Cole to win the Cy Young. Otherwise, don't, he's in don't, for a rough year. Don't
1: you dare. I will <laughs> yeet you off this podcast. I will close this laptop and delete this recording right now. <laughs> I, well, if it's of any consolation, I should never predict Cy Young's either because my nationally pick was Max Freed and he spent roughly 70% of the season injured. Mm-hmm. Granted, when he pitched, he was good. That's when true. When he pitched, he was good. He was just not healthy very often. I'll end this segment with some low-key pats on the back for the both of us, because as much as we've missed throughout all these predictions, we hit the f bullseye on two of them. Tom guessed Gunnar Henderson for AL Rookie of the Year. It was looking pretty bad to start, but then he turned it the hell around and is now the easy favorite. And I picked Acuna for NL MVP, who I low-key thought could bounce back, and I was like, screw it, why not? He has high upside, and lo and behold, he absolutely went crazy. We're not going to pay attention to the fact that I tried manifesting Jose Ramirez as the AL MVP because I hit (laughs) a home run with Judge winning it last year. I figured, oh, I'll double dip with J-Ram and it'll help my fantasy team. Nope, my magic went to NL MVP and Acuna is pretty much a shoo-in to get it at this point.
0: Now, to be fair, I also picked J-Ram, but we also were under the stipulation we could not pick Shohei. Otherwise, we both would have picked Shohei and we both would have nailed it. That's also true, so we technically both nailed two predictions. Tony actually got both the MVPs in a technical sense, so congrats to him, Uh, although I think the Gunnar Henderson pick is much more admirable, if I do say so myself, but I'm just being completely biased here. Let's actually get into our playoff predictions, because this is the fun part of the episode we know you've all been waiting for, and I think we should just start rattling these off. Tony, I'm interested to see what your wild card rounds are shaping up to be. Let's go league by league. Start with the American League.
1: All right. So we're going to start with the first AL wildcard matchup, Toronto versus Minnesota. Toronto wins next. Um, we've got <laughs> no consideration <laughs> to the twins whatsoever. I'll give, I'll give some reasoning. Number one, my reasoning is win a f- playoff game and I'll take you seriously. They have the exact same reputation as the Toronto Maple Leafs do right now. Actually, no, that's actually sad because the Leafs managed to win a playoff series more recently than the Twins, that is a badge of shame no team should have the misfortune of dawning. Even taking this logistically, I like the Blue Jays hitting more. The pitching, I will give the edge to the Twins, at least in the starting rotation, but the Blue Jays have just been the hotter team on the whole, and I don't... I know better than to trust an AL Central team. It's happened literally every single time. Sands, that one weird year where the Guardians actually beat the Rays, but that's because they hit less bad than the Rays did that year. I remember that was a year, I think that was last year, Tom. Oscar Gonzalez hit that walk-off homer off of uh, Corey Kluber. Yes, it was. That's big sad that happened in Cleveland for him. But nevertheless, I'm putting Toronto over Minnesota and not thinking twice. This matchup, though, Texas versus Tampa, a battle of goddamn powerhouses throughout the entire season, both of them fumbling at the last possible minute to a division rival. Now, both teams have very high upsides and very noticeable holes. Tampa has basically no starting rotation outside of Zach Gefflin and Tyler Glass now, and Texas's bullpen has been very hit or miss lately. Both offenses have very high upside, But, Tom, this might be a bit controversial, or maybe it's not. I don't know. I'm going to give the edge to Texas. Hmm. I truly think their offense is, at this point, leaps and bounds better than Tampa because they've gotten basically their own mini- Post-deadline-deadline acquisitions with guys like Jonah Heim, Josh Young, and Adolis Garcia coming back to the lineup and raking like leaves in the fall. That lineup is basically just as scary as it was in the beginning of the season. That early second-half slump hasn't really hurt them that much, and the Rays don't have that hitting depth. They really don't. A bunch of their guys are either injured or disgusting human beings. Which, might I remind you, by the way, if you want to know how injury-prone the Rays have been, uh, their top war-getter is still Wander Franco. That's all I need to say. If they hit either Eflin or Glasnow hard, the Rays are done. That's it. I like the Rays as, like, a sleeper pick to go far, but I can't... I I need to put Texas over them. I just think Texas is a much better team, and their starting rotation has been red-hot lately with guys like Dane Dunning... And Jordan Montgomery. Tom, to you.
0: So, Tony, we are going to be in lockstep with the Toronto series. There's no way in hell that the Minnesota Twins are going to win the series. And I, I really don't want to be eating my words on this uh, because, let's be honest, it's the Twins. If we're going to really prove that the AL Central is this much of a cakewalk, then, yeah, they should be swept. Mm-hmm in this series and congratulations blue jays fans you'll make it past the a wild card round with this core congratulations you might not get far after that but at least you'll make it past the wild card round if you don't dismantle the core immediately i am half serious on that one texas and tampa this is going to be interesting this is going to be i think a very very close series it's unfortunate that one of these teams won't make it to the ALDS, because both teams are extremely deserving of at least achieving that much. That being said, we do disagree on the picks. I'm actually going to go Tampa here, just because they do have that experience, they do have the superior pitching staff, because God forbid I cannot trust the Texas bullpen with every bone in my body. I can trust Tampa, and it's going to come down to pitching, because you can get away with a bad bullpen in the regular season, if you have a great enough offense to supplement that. But the pitching is taken up a notch in the postseason by pretty much every team across the board. And the Rangers offense, I don't think, will be nearly as potent against this Tampa Bay Rays team. And the Tampa Bay Rays, they'll feast off of uh, Texas' pitching a little bit. So I'm going to go Tampa here. Moving on to the National League. You've got Arizona and Milwaukee. Uh, Milwaukee... I think, will curb stomp the Diamondbacks in this series. I wanted to be a little bit closer because of how highly I did think of the Diamondbacks entering the year, but honestly, I don't see the Diamondbacks surviving really very far. If you thought the Texas bullpen was bad, just go look at the Arizona Diamondbacks bullpen on Baseball Reference. Trust me, it's practically a crime if you look at it. It's god-awful. So the Brewers, I will give the advantage to there. And now here's Miami and Philly, which first of all, I would like to point out why the hell is this a primetime game every single day in the <laughs> wild card round? I get it that Philly will have the most raucous crowd out of Minnesota, Tampa, and Milwaukee by far. And this is an NL East matchup. That's great. But we're really going to put the Miami Marlins of all teams primetime. I get the schedule was made before the teams were announced and where the playoff positioning and all that stuff was. But, you have Texas and Tampa. That's the most intriguing series in my mind. That being said, you do have Philly and Miami. I'm going Miami on this one. Believe it or not, I'm going to pick the Miami Marlins. That's right. Going out to the NLDS. Now, here's why. The Marlins this year against the Phillies in First of all, the Marlins have actually... Just been better than Philly all year. They have a winning record against them. I believe it's seven and six, or they have a one game difference, and they have actually won the series this year. But in Philly, Miami has won both series each time. So they kind of know how to play in Philly based off the regular season success, and that doesn't dictate what's going to happen in postseason because the Phillies, I will say, are the superior team, kind of by far. But based on the success I've seen in the regular season with Miami. I'm gonna go bold, and I'm gonna put Miami past a wild card round into the NLDS.
1: That is definitely a bold choice. I like the pick of the or rather the pull of the season matchups because I'm pretty sure that's been in Miami's favor for a couple of years now. I'm gonna start with Brewer's d backs however, and this Tom, I feel like it's closer than you think it is. At least in my mind, because you gotta think. They just lost Brandon Woodruff for at least the wildcard round. It might be for longer. And even though even though uh, Arizona does not have exactly an ace starting game one because uh, Gallen and Kelly are on short rest, they have to start Brandon Fott game one. If they win game one with Brandon Fott, though, they're going to the next round because the next two pitchers are Zach Gallen and Merle Kelly against a very, 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 very not-that-great Milwaukee offense. I will, however, give the edge to Milwaukee. Just barely. If only because of a few reasons. Number one, Milwaukee ended the season way hotter than Arizona. All Arizona could beat up on really was uh, Chicago, the White Sox, in the last week or two. They weren't terrible, but they definitely made the playoffs as a result of teams like the Cubs falling out of favor, and guys like the Marlins being a little too far behind the curve, and the Brewers... I think they've got the pitching depth to get it done. The Diamondbacks are still a little... They're still a little green. They're still a little inexperienced. Really, none of those guys outside of, like, can Marte has seen the playoffs. And the Brewers, if they can win... If they can win game one with Corbin Burns, I think they're set. I know that's kind of weird to say, but Corbin Burns has been surprisingly inconsistent this year. And Freddy Peralta's been white hot to end the year. So, if they win with Corbin Burns, I think they'll be fine. Marlins Philly... I hate to be kind of basic, but I'm going to go with Philly on this one. I'm just not very high on Miami starters. I I do like them, don't get me wrong. I think much like Tampa, they're a really sneaky pick to make some noise this year. But I'm, and I hate to pull this argument twice, but I'm going to do the same argument as Arizona. I feel like Miami's a little too new to this. Their hitting has low-key been pretty good lately, with guys like Jazz Chisholm and Jorge Soler coming alive. For the playoff push, which, by the way, known postseason warrior Jorge Soler is going to be the biggest threat to that Philly pitching, which isn't too great itself, but this this Miami pitching is going to be stretched pretty thin. No Alcantara, no Yuri Perez. Jesus Lizardo is starting Game 1, and he is a coin flip. He's either amazing or he's terrible. I, I feel like Philly's bats are just going to feast on that pitching staff. The Philly's hitting core gets a lot of shade because they're in the same division as the Braves, but the Phillies can mash. Kyle Schwarber, Harper finally got hot, Turner finally got hot, and Castellanos and Bohm both bounce back. So I feel like Philly's gonna Philly's gonna have a have a day with their pitching staff is what I'm trying to say. Their bullpen's okay, but I don't think the starters can hold up. All right, Tom, let's jump into the next three rounds. And for these, considering the wild cards are likely going to be close to done, if not done already by the time the episode comes out, I'm not going to put too much stock into these. I'm just going to go with what my gut feels and how I went with the first round. So I'm actually just going to breeze through all four of my picks and then I'll throw it to you. Not going to take too long. My first matchup in the AL is going to be Toronto and Houston. I've got Houston winning that one. I think Toronto can only go so far, and Houston is a postseason juggernaut, even though I'm not high on their pitching. I'm not high on Houston's starting pitching in the slightest. I'd explain a little more, but we don't have a ton of time. Let's just say, look at Christian Javier and Hunter Brown's numbers. That's all you need to know. But still, they've got more than enough to outlast Toronto. For Texas and Baltimore, this is a series I could honestly deep dive for a little bit. But for the sake of time, I'm going to shoot my shot with a pretty bold take and say Texas takes it. I really like Baltimore. I would not mind if they went on a deep run. I just don't think they're ready yet. Granted, that's not to say Texas is a 1,000% ready, but they've got more older guys that have been a little more used to the postseason. Guys like Seeger and Avaldi and whatnot. And Baltimore starting pitching, I hate to always come back to that, but pitching wins rings. Texas has got one of the best rotations in baseball right now going into the playoffs Baltimore outside of Kyle Bradish, it's a little bit shaky I've got Texas winning in a very very close series Milwaukee Dodgers Dodgers they own them I don't need to explain this one very much even with even with a pretty depleted pitching staff themselves I feel like the Dodgers hitters could have a day if the Brewers pitchers are not perfect so I've got the Dodgers going on and then braves phillies i think the braves want revenge it's very basic to just go braves dodgers for the cs but can you blame me the braves just scored seven billion runs in 162 game stretch their starting pitching is even more of a question mark than the dodgers but i still think they're going to outmatch the phillies they move on
0: yeah i'll rattle through mine quickly too. houston toronto houston dominates baltimore tampa i have See, last night when I went through these in my head, I put Baltimore to the World Series. I'm moving Tampa on today. It's a coin flip for me. Right. But at the end of the day, too, I agree with what you were saying about Baltimore. The pitching, they're just not going to be able to get it done, I don't think. And that's ultimately what matters in the postseason. They've got great bats, but ultimately, I like Tampa. Just giving them the slight, the slightest edge. You never, never bet with your heart, kids. Take that as a betting lesson. And if I were to bet with my heart, I'd put Baltimore to the World Series but I'm going to try and be a little bit more smart and put Tampa. Dodgers-Milwaukee, Dodgers, that's an easy pick, and Atlanta and Miami. Let me put it this way. If you thought I was already bold enough putting Miami over Philly, let's be honest. If I put Atlanta over Miami, you would think I'm smoking the fattest of blunts, and I am not going to... I am not going to subscribe to any more conspiracy theories. It's going to be the Braves. Let's be real. It's not going to be Miami. Miami, by the way, I looked at Philly in Miami's record in the regular season this year. Braves 10-3 against Miami. I think that's a pretty easy bet. So then I've got Houston and Tampa. That would be my ALCS. And I'm going to go Tampa here. Okay. I put Houston in the regular season, or excuse me, in the preseason, And ultimately, they're still a very talented team, as unfortunate as that is. And I could make the argument that they continue to lose talent and whatnot, and that's ultimately what's going to hurt them. But they have the experience and whatnot. But Tampa is also on a completely different level than they've been in years past. They actually have a very, very respectable offense. Not to say that their teams in the past haven't had that offense, but it's their best offense in quite a long time, possibly since the old days when they had Longoria there. And ultimately, the pitching, I think, is pretty even. I just give the slight edge again to Tampa. I'm trying to be bold a little bit, and I feel that's a comfortable pick to be bold with. I'm going to go Tampa to the World Series. Now we've got Dodgers and Braves. And this is going to be the battle of Mookie Betts and Ronald Acuna. This is a very interesting series. It's a series that we all want to see. And I don't know if it's necessarily going to be an easy cakewalk for the Braves as their record should indicate, but I'm going to go Braves going to the World Series. They're, In my mind, clearly the better team. I do think they have a very high chance of somehow faltering because, again, they don't have the greatest bullpen on this God's green earth either, but their offense is just too lethal, I think. I, I think ultimately it'll get it done. I don't think the Dodgers have enough to beat the Braves in a series, so I'm going to go Tampa and Atlanta, and I'm going to stop there and let Tony get to his World Series.
1: Well, you won't have to wait too long because I'm going to rattle through mine pretty quickly. I've got for my ALCS Texas and Houston. Tom, what were you saying about smoking the fattest blunts? Uh, I say Texas goes to the World Series. Oh, oh. Oh, we're playing with fire today. We're being bold. I'm low-key trying to manifest it, but high-key... The more I look at the Rangers, the more I see the team in April. I'm going to be honest Tom. this team gives me shades of the 2001 uh, 2001. 2021 Braves, a dynamite offense coming from guys who you would expect and at the same time wouldn't. You know, you've got your superstars, your Semians, your Seegers, your Garcias, but you've also got Jonah Heim, Josh Young, Travis Jankowski, Robbie Grossman, Mitch Garver, guys who you wouldn't expect to be that great years ago. And with the Braves, you had that in Jock Peterson, Jorge Soler, and Eddie Rosario. It's not just that comp though. I really, dude, I'm Probably way too high on the Texas starting pitching. Watch them get bounced in the wild card after I laud their pitching so much. But I like their starting rotation better than Houston's right now. If we're talking about riding the hot hand, I don't like JP France that much. I feel like he gives up way too many walks and way too much hard contact. Framber Valdez and Justin Verlander ended the season really, really hot. But I get the sense Texas may kill them with depth. And that's not to say their offense can't hang with them. I think they're just about equal when it comes to good offense. I might even give Texas the edge. So I'm going to be bold and say go to the World Series, say they go to the World Series. And just to make a quick NLCS, I'm going to say the Braves take it. I don't really have too, too many analytical reasons outside of Braves hit ball really, really, really far. Oh, here's an analytical one. Dave Roberts is going to make a really, really dumb, really, really stupid boneheaded decision, and it's going to cost the Dodgers. Stop me. If you've seen that episode before. (laughs) So with that being said, oh, and also because their starting pitching is absolutely destroyed, you're going to have to deal with playoff Kershaw and playoff debut Bobby Miller and pretty much nothing else. It's literally two garbage pitching staffs combined with amazing offenses, and I'm going to go with the Braves. That being said, Tom, I'm going to jump right into my World Series pick. It's Texas versus Atlanta, and I, like I said before, could analyze a matchup like this forever and the Braves definitely have the talent to get it done, it's just a goddamn shame that no one in that starting rotation is healthy. Literally the only ones are Spencer Strider, who's kind of bad this year outside of the strikeout numbers, and Bryce Elder, who's a ticking time bomb of hard-hit contact waiting to go off. Here's the thing I'm probably going to have to face like a loser in a couple days. Texas wins because pitching. That's literally it. The Braves have a lightning in a bottle, once-in-a-lifetime offense, that they're going to squander to a team that is just a little more well-rounded than they are. Does that sound familiar? That sounds like the 2021 Braves. That's honestly my number one reason for thinking the Rangers could take it all. I'm getting, like, disturbing shades of that team. It's so similar. They have the exact same strengths, the exact same well-roundedness, and if their opponent is the Braves, the Braves hardly have a pitching staff. At the risk of rambling... Texas is more well-rounded, even though Atlanta has a godly sledgehammer on offense. Texas wins in uh, six games. Why not?
0: Cool. Yee to the haw with that prediction. freaking haw. Good for you. I like you being bold. That's a a very uh, good prediction. I like that. I'll keep mine simple. The Braves should win the World Series. I'm going Tampa. (laughs) <laughs> how about that for an explanation? <laughs> Never bet the favorite. <laughs> be bold, kids. <laughs> I'm I'm just smoking that fat blunt right now. Smoke weed every day. What did you just say? I don't know if that's going to be censored
1: or not. <laughs> but we're leaving. <laughs> I'm tempted to, but you know, we'll see how I feel tomorrow. We'll see how I feel.
0: Oh, <laughs> uh, the blunt will continue to be smoked. Listen. The dominance, I feel like, has to stop at some point, and that Braves pitching staff like Tony outlined is too fragile, in my opinion. They've got it done with a kind of shaky staff before in 2021. I'll give them that, but it's almost like they're too good, and teams like this sometimes do win the World Series, but not everything can go right. So I'm going to be bold, and I'm going to go with Tampa winning their first franchise World (laughs) Series title. It'll kind of break my heart, but low-key, I think I might be rooting for that a little bit more than the Braves to win the World Series, just because the Braves have been that hot team all year. It's kind of almost refreshing to see them lose, in a sense. We'll see. That being said, I think I mentioned it last week, too. The only other time I saw the Braves play baseball was in 2021 (laughs) live, and surprise, (laughs) they won the World Series that year. And I saw them play this year, where they trounced the Mets in uh, Atlanta. So, history would tell you that the Atlanta Braves will actually win the World Series, but I'm going to go with the Tampa Bay Rays winning the World <laughs> Series. So, we'll see. And that'll do it. Tony's got the Texas Rangers going all the way. I got the Tampa Bay Rays going all the way. <laughs> Funnily enough, one of them is going to fall within the yes. next 96 <laughs> hours from the time we are recording. And one of us will be completely wrong. But one team from that series, we do each have actually winning said world series so those are our playoff predictions clown us because the wild card round again will probably be over by the time this episode releases or at the very least game threes will be going on throughout the day that it releases so clown us dm us do whatever you want to us we're open to ridicule especially with our preseason picks and that being said i'll let you (laughs) speak tony in a second i'll wrap up this milestone
1: episode of episode 75 that's all we got for you folks Absolutely, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you again so, so much for sticking with us through the terrible predictions, long as hell early episodes, and everything in between for some damn good baseball content, if I do say so myself, and we've got a damn good bunch of lovely listeners supporting us. Thank you all so, so much again. Hope you enjoyed episode 75 of the Diamond Duo podcast, because... It is just about time to wrap it up. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much for listening. Be sure to go follow us on social media at Diamond Duo Pod on Twitter slash X, the Diamond Duo Podcast on Instagram, and be sure to follow/slash subscribe wherever you find your podcasts. Until next time, folks, buckle in for some playoff baseball. Buckle in for probably a lot of laughter, Tom and I's predictions, and we will see you next time on the Diamond Duo Podcast. Take care.